Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noll, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Shell Broadnecks, welcome to the show. You are the CEO and founder of the Real Estate Staging Association and can be found at realestatestagingassociation.com. And you're an author and a speaker and a coach. And you can be found there at shellbroadnets.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So give us a little background on who you are. You do a lot of amazing things. <laughs> Start putting out the list. That's a loaded question there. Um, you know, I think most importantly, um, who am I? Who am I? I feel like I should say something like philosophical here. Um, I'm a person who just, I really care about helping other people. That's really what I feel like I was uh, put on this earth to do in one way, shape or form. And through my entire career, um, I've always seemed to manage to have a little piece of that pie. Um, but uh, most importantly right now, my role, my uh, full-time gig is I'm CEO of RISA and we're the trade association for professional real estate stagers. So um uh, helping to build an industry while um, advancing professionalism and excellence in real estate staging. Tell us about real estate staging. This is a relatively new phenomenon, um, but tell us what it is and why this this particular professional group has gotten bigger. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in the industry 21 years now. It's 21 years uh, last month was my anniversary. Um, we have grown. We have changed. It's amazing. Um, how much we've changed because 21 years ago we didn't have an industry which said people just they're flying by the seat of their pants doing whatever they want it was wild west and now we've all come together to organize and that was done through our organization um, real estate staging is the process of preparing what is likely your your number one asset which is your home the equity in your home preparing that for sale so you can sell for top dollar sell faster hopefully get more offers um, staging is great because in a slow market when everything uh, when things sell, even, you know, it, or when it's a slow market and it's hardly anything selling, a staged property is going to sell while the others sit. And in a hot market, when everything sells, no matter what it looks like, you're going to draw multiple offers and uh, get over list price. So tell us what staging is. It's the process of preparing the home for sale in order to put it on the market. So, so it's making the house look attractive. Making it, it's a marketing technique, absolutely. So if you live in your home um, while it's being listed, a stager can come in and they're going to give you feedback on the things that you can do. Some of it can be um, a lot of it. They're going to give you a list of things that you can do that are condition based because condition poor condition eats your equity. So right. if there's you know chips in the paint or chip in the countertop, things like that, let's fix all those things so the buyers don't ask for concessions. Get it really really clean. And then design the space. Most people, the way you live in your home and the way you should market and sell it are very different. Yeah. And I know right now, if anybody came into my office, I'd be like, oh, please don't look at it, y'all. It's just <laughs> real bad. Um, but I know when I sell it, 
I got to clean it up. You got to zhuzh it up a little bit. Um, number one, you got to have the pictures look amazing. 30 years ago, the drive-by, people used to you know, get the Sunday paper and say, let's go look for open houses. And you look through the paper and you drive through the neighborhoods to see the signs and everything. Well, Google's your drive-by now. People go online, they go to realtor.com or Trulia, any MLS online, and they're looking for homes. And they're making decisions like this, just left and right, off the list, good lists, hard it, you're going to favor it or they're not. And if you want to be on that buyer's must-see list, staging and amazing photography is going to get you there faster than anything else so so you got people who are stagers they come in and maybe in a on a residential home they'll be talking to the owners the sellers about this is what you need to do to clean this up and make it look good yeah maybe they'll bring stuff in they've got in their inventory to dress up the home absolutely also include photographers people who are photographers that specialize in staging photography or well, there's real estate photographers. So um, typically some stagers offer the photography services, some don't, but there are, you know, real estate photographers that'll take pictures of it. And staging is also for vacant homes as well. So the home is completely empty. They bring everything in, the, the rugs, the lighting, the art, the sofas, the bedding, beds, everything. So do you find it, for example, rental people like Airbnb people or vacation uh, by owner? I mean, do they, do they use stagers too? Absolutely. In fact, that's the biggest, newest niche in the staging industry is stagers are bidding on those for the investors because stagers have worked with flippers forever. Mm -hmm. Well, now those flippers are saying, okay, great to buy it and just get rid of it and sell it. But why don't we just start buying and keeping a few of these and short-term rental it? So they're coming in and stagers are able to give the complete design plan. They teach them how to be a good host, understanding, you know, all your linens have it all be just white linen have it all be matching so you can replace it easily tips as far as you know the type of dishes that you want to have and the the staples that you should have and if you're going to market this as like for a retreat or anything corporate make sure you have an office with a um, laptop connections or a printer and extra paper and just amenities that will make your guests feel right you know really welcome so what is it that you love most about your job oh boy because you're obviously excited about it. I do get excited about it. You know, one of the biggest, I, I think the biggest thing that I like to do with my job is, you know, as a CEO, you, you wear a lot of hats, but I think the most favorite part of my role of the things that I do is the coaching that I do for stagers. I offer a career counseling call to any one of our members. They can grab my calendar. We jump on a zoom and I'll give them supposed to be 30 minutes, but it's always an hour. Mm -hmm. Give them an hour of my time. And I go through their website, their marketing plans. What have they done? What What's worked well? What hasn't gone well? And then I kind of fill in their blanks because I can see, you know, it is when you're coaching someone, they don't see the problem. They're like, I don't know what the problem is. And you're like, I do. I'll tell you. Will you listen to me? <laughs> I can do that. So I guess I like telling people what their problems are, but then how to fix them. Right. And uh, then the, the the joy that I get from that, um, I had somebody sign up for a second call with me and uh, I looked at her website and I said, wow, your website's really great. You've got these great title tags. Your SEO is good. You, whoever did that, they did a good job. And she says, oh, you told me to do that. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> listen, this is good. So I love it when what I advise, when they take advantage of it and then they can see the changes and it gets back to me. So I love that. What do you think it is that is unique about you and the work that you do? I don't really don't know how to answer that. That's a really provocative question there, Doug. Um, I would say 
I think I just really care. I really do care. And I know there are CEOs that really, really care. I mean, I mean CEO is just a, it's a position, just like everything else, every profession. You've got people that care. You got people that don't care. I really do care um, about the people and about growing an industry that's valued and viewed upon as a legitimate resource in real estate. It's a calling. It's a calling and, and calling and caring. Calling and caring, yeah. So let's pivot a little bit. Um, this show is called Listening with Leaders. I don't know how much you know about my background, but I'm really, I'm a really a very sophisticated peacemaker. I guess that's the best way to describe it. And listening is everything. How important is listening in what you do, both as a CEO and your coaching and everything else that you do? It's huge. It's huge. It can be hard to, it can be hard to listen. Listening can be rather difficult Indeed. Um, on many fronts. Um, one, I will probably say that I probably have listened to more people in my lifetime than I care to count. It's just like, <laughs> and the other thing with listening is you've got to kind of take action as well. And you have to be able to sift through what is a, what's really a problem and what's really not a problem because the people's perceptions are of different things and people have complaints and wants and needs, and they might be just very center focused on them. And it's not necessarily a big picture where we have to look things as big pictures and we have to kind of put it together like a jigsaw puzzle and make it all work together. Um, but there's one thing that I know with coaching, um, Throughout my career, I've gone into other organizations to tell them what was wrong and what they can fix, how they fix a sick department or anything. And uh, just a quick story to answer the question, I did this for somebody and I went in and I asked their people what the problems were. And they, they were mad at me. And I was like, well, how do you expect to find out if you don't ask your people? If you ask them, they'll tell you the truth. I asked, out, what are the problems here in your in your department? Who can fix them? Does anybody have any ideas? And I walked them through a process, a brainstorming process. And I walked out with a killer plan, man. And she was just not happy. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, they told me the truth. If you don't want to hear it, I don't, I can't help you. Yeah. So how do you, do you, how do you deal with people who um, disagree with you? You know, here's the thing. I work with boards of directors and I'm sure in your career, you have worked with boards. I'm a chair of a board. Yep. <laughs> I, I have chaired boards. I have been secretary. I've been a director. I've, I've done it and I work with them as CEO and undoubtedly, and I'm sure you probably agree with this, that it, when you're, when you are on a board of directors and then you have your staff, you know, your headquarters and they're trying to work together, there's always this dynamic where staff feels misunderstood and underappreciated and um, the board can't figure out what they're doing either. And they feel unappreciated. And it's one of those things that y'all have to really kind of work together. And the, my biggest thing is when I'm working with them, it's we all have the same goals. We want the same things. We just have a different opinion on how to get there. And that's where it doesn't have to be conflict, but you have to have, be able to have the right people in place to be able to say, okay, you think the path is this way. I think the path is this way. And then of course, as staff, you say, well, the path is this way. And, and y'all can't possibly have the experience that we have in doing this. We've been running it, you know, for all these years. And they say, oh, you're not open to change. And you're like, oh, but you don't understand. And you go back and forth. So at some point you just have to come in the middle and say, look, people, we just, we're going to have to compromise on some things and um, figure out a good path to compromise. That, what you describe is a really common problem. <laughs> right. Really common. 
I I told my board that recently. I don't think they, I was, they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, it's a thing. (laughs) It's a real, I mean, as a, as a person who deals in conflict, as a mediator and peacemaker, I see this board staff CEO conflict consistently. And, and the, the, the solution that I found is rather than looking at the solutions that people are offering up, which are really positional thing, I ask for their underlying interests. If we follow your path, what are all the good things that are going to happen to you in your life? Why, what needs of yours are going to be fulfilled following this path? And then when we get the needs out there, we find out that um, there's a lot of commonalities. And then that gives you a basis. That's the universe of the problem that needs to be solved. And then you can get people brainstorming about how do we satisfy all of these needs? Yeah. Instead of arguing positionally, I'm right, you're wrong which is uh, what happens in in most situations that escalates or if people have to compromise, they feel belittled or not heard or not validated. And that breeds conflict that's going to pop up its ugly head later. It's all fascinating to me. It really is. We've, I've actually had, I've been doing this, this organization for 16 years. So that's over 80 people on, you know, that have come through over the years that were on boards and, um, I have a really good track record. I mean, most of the time, you know, I should say all the time, they're always good boards, you know, some are a little bit stronger than others, but there's really not a huge amount of conflict. It's just, sometimes it can be tenuous, you know, when you're in the strategic planning phases and things like that, and um, you just, you really desperately want everybody to get along. And, and I'm trying to learn how to communicate better because I have a tendency to say, well, let me tell you why that won't work. (laughs) (laughs) So you're jumping right into problem solving. Apparently nobody's a fan of that line. And so now I'm trying to think of how is it, but I have a responsibility to tell you that we tried it or why it won't work. So I have a responsibility to tell you, um, but I have to find another way to, to be able to say it without saying those words. So it's uh, I'll, I'll, give a quick, I'll, I'll give you a quick suggestion. Oh, give it please. Um, it's not about, it's you're offering up your solution too early. That's the problem. Yep. You're right. You're offering up your solution. And, and the reason that people offer up their solutions too early is because they're managing their own anxiety. <gasps> right? Think you've, got, you've, got a, you've got a solution. You see a problem. You're anxious about it. You want to get it solved. You want to soothe yourself. So look, if you just do it my way, it'll work. Trust me. Um, I'm taking notes. You're soothing your own anxiety. And you, people yeah. jump into early problem solving to do that. There's a better way. And the better way is to listen, listen other people into existence. This is what I teach. How do you listen to other people? You listen to their emotions. What are they experiencing emotionally? And when you listen to them, and this only takes three or four minutes to do this. So it's not like this is some long therapy session. It's fast. Once once people feel validated and they feel heard, then they're open to problem solving. And they they will listen to you and you can offer up constructive suggestions and they will be amenable to those ideas. But until they feel heard and listened to and validated, they're going to be like that horse that doesn't want to be right. You have, it's the same thing. Horses are no different than humans in that way. You are so right. because (laughs) I, I know you've done this before. Here's my thing. I mean, the light bulbs that just went off because, um, it is when you said even the self soothing, because it's like, everybody is talking and, and you know, they're on the wrong path and I'm, ha- I can solve it in four seconds, That's four right. seconds. 
but I got to take 20 minutes of listening to everybody go around to get to the same conclusion that I could have solved 20 minutes ago. How it, Soothing me. The problem isn't the problem that you're seeing. The problem is that the people need to be heard. They need to be yeah. supported. That's where your real problem is. Yeah. The solution yeah. is the underlying substantive problem. You're right. You can solve it in 30 seconds, but that's not where your problem is. Right. Yep. The problem is invalidating your people. You just changed the way I'm going to do board meetings forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot more I can show you <laughs> on top of that. But th but this is just something to really think about. Yeah, it is. Something that this is why I call it listening with leaders, because when you see when you try to jump to that early problem solving without listening to people first and validating them, they're going to they're going to typically be really resistant. People don't like to feel like they're losing their autonomy. Yeah. They want to feel like they've got choice. They want to feel like they they are autonomous agents and they want to feel like their their voice means something. So they need meaning. And your yeah. job as a leader is to provide all of that. And the good news is it doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take 20 minutes. Yeah. Take Just being self-aware of that now at this point, I think is going to be tremendously helpful. It's huge. And so tell me about listening in your private life, in your personal life. Are you, are you doing much listening there or do you jump to early problem solving? Um, well, I'm definitely a problem solver. Right. I'm, I definitely am. But in my coaching, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm listening. I'm working them through it. I actually take them through different exercises um, to get them to develop the solution on their own without me just giving them a prescription for it. And that's what really good coaching is. Isn't it interesting that when you have your coaching hat on, you're listening and leading them to self-discovery. It's very different. But when you're but when you're in your CEO role, you're in problem-solving mode. And in your personal life, you might be in problem-solving mode, right? Yeah. It, it never occurs. Hey, maybe I can be, maybe I should be in coaching mode, or maybe I should be thinking about listening a little bit more in a different way and not immediately jump to problem solving. Yeah, we'll get there. I just gotta be patient with myself, rein in my anxiety. Give that anxiety worse a carrot to calm down and then and then and then start offering up yeah you know it's interesting um i'll tell you just a super quick story because this is one of those self-realizations when you when you realize something you're like mind blown so this just happened for me here but through my coaching um i speak to people all the time that are worried about their competitors you know and um i like there there's been days where I talk to three people a day and it's, you know, my competition is doing this and she cut prices and she did an ad and it's directed at me. And I'm like, hmm. nine times out of 10, I don't think your competitor's doing something just to screw you over right now. And I use the horse analogies and I say, you know, listen, when you're riding a horse, if you want to get from point A to point B, you got to look at where you're going. If I want to get over there to the arena, I've got to look at the arena down there because the second I look over here, on my horse, my horse is going to go that way. They're going to go where I'm looking. Your right. focus is going to go where you're looking. So if you're looking at your competitor over here and all this ancillary chatter, you are not focused on your own business. So when I started riding horses, um, I was competing and I was green. It was my first year because kind of a show off. And I got in front of a stage of several hundred people one year and said, oh, I bought a horse and I'm going to compete and I'm going to win a buck over. And then I had to come back the next year and say, I was last place 12 times it was bad, but this is what I learned. And I went to a performance coach and she said, she gave me a test and she says, oh my God, you've got the best scores I've ever seen about competition, except in one area. 
And I said, I'll give that to me over again. I don't fail tests. Let's just do it again. <laughs> You're not competitive. <laughs> and she said, she said, no, no, I'm going to change your life. And I'm like, do tell I am open because I need to win. I do not come in last place. This is not who I am. <laughs> and she said, you're horribly obsessed with your competitors. And I went, oh, what? And I said, you, you don't understand. I coach people all day long. And this is my literal soapbox. This is the main thing of what we talk about. And she says, well, you need to follow your own advice. She's like, what would you tell yourself? I said, set my own goals and don't worry about them. And she's like, do that and see what happens. You'll win. And I'm like, okay. okay. Went back to the circuit. My first time out, all of a sudden I, I did my run. I heard screaming. People were calling my name and I'm like, what, what? And they're like, you won. And like, what did I win? She's like, they're like first place. I didn't finish less than fourth that season. And I won a state championship. Wow. But I was doing the one thing that I was trying to teach people not to do. And I couldn't see it. I had good reason for it, but I couldn't see it. But yeah. as soon as I changed it, life changes. Good for you. And that's good advice. I mean, that's one of the reasons why you want sometimes to get a coach to kind of help you see your blind, your blind spots. You have to sometimes all everybody, any executives that I know and, and business owners right. seek out mentors and coaches because exactly that you just can't see it sometimes. Right. All right. I got one more question for you. Sure. What's one thing that we wouldn't know about you unless you revealed it to us? Ooh. I used to be a private investigator. Oh, I read about that. Tell me about that. I'll see, but you knew about it then. Um, I loved it. It well, was that's so good. Background. I want to know who you were before we got on the Yeah. Um, I was a private investigator for about a decade. I worked primarily in the financial industry. Um, I did have my own business for a while. Um, my husband at the time did not like me doing domestic investigations. Andrew. He was not a big supporter. Um, but I primarily worked in the financial industry and um, lots of skip tracing and asset recovery and things like that. Wow. Loved it. What a what a switch from yeah. that to what you're doing switch. now. Yep. Interesting. Private eye. Yeah. Shell Broadnax PI. There, there you go. <laughs> How'd you get the name Shell? My real name is Michelle. Oh, okay. And back in my PI days, um, people in the office just reduced my name down to Shell and it just uh, became my nickname and it stuck and I've I've never never gotten rid of it. It's a it's a really unusual name. It sticks. It does. And now I'm known professionally. It's like even if I was at the mall and somebody said Michelle, I wouldn't even turn around. Wow. But my family calls me Michelle. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you for having me. Doug Noll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. 
Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Noel. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.